Good morning. Uh, we are uh, we're walking through this guy named uh, Matthew. He was uh, probably a tax collector, um, and he wrote down um, a bunch of the stuff that he saw Jesus do and, and heard him say. And he, and he wrote it down for us. Uh, we call it the Gospel of Matthew. It's uh, his story, uh, his telling of what he observed. And uh, in, in the telling, he, he just said some amazing things uh, introducing us to Jesus. And, and then you finally get to chapter five and we hear Jesus teach for the first time. And so uh, this we something we now call the Sermon on the Mount because Jesus went up on a mountain and he, and he sat down uh, and he began to teach people and Matthew wrote down what he said. We're a little over halfway through the sermon. At the the top of the sermon, at the peak, at the apex of the sermon, you have the Lord's Prayer. It kind of sits right in the middle of this whole sermon. Don't think that's an accident. And so he's he's just on the other side of that in our walking through this teaching of Jesus. Um, And right up before this, right before we get to what we're going to look at today, um, Jesus has been telling people um, about how to be, what it looks like to be in the world. Uh, He said, for example, when you give and when you pray and when you fast, when you do your religious disciplines, right? He said, don't do them for other people. Uh, You don't have to do these. You don't have to perform for other people so you feel good about yourself. Uh, People are fickle. You're constantly having to perform over and over for them. Again, he said, instead, do the things that you do. Do them for God. Do them in private with your father as your audience. He'll reward you. If you perform for people, you get what you get, right? You get the reward that you get from them, but perform instead. Do your acts of service for God himself with God as your audience. Look to him instead of inside and to other people. And then right after that, he, he said, starts talking about what we do with our stuff, and we says that we should lay up treasures in heaven, that we have a tendency uh, to take the things that we have and, and use them for us. And Jesus says, look, those things crumble and fa- fail. They fall away. Instead, you should be storing up treasures in heaven. <laughs> Do things, work for things that are eternal. Don't work for things that are here today and gone tomorrow. Like, instead of looking to the now and satisfying your need now, he's like, look to heaven, look, look to eternity, Right? And then right after that, he said, start talking about anxiety. He said, hey, instead of, and this anxiety flows out of, I believe, and, and Jesus teaches this, I, I think, uh, he says that it flows out of our need to be able to control everything. And we know deep down inside that we can't hold on to everything. And we try to manage and we try to control, and money is one of the ways that we do that, but we know deep down inside that the things we care about most could be taken from us. And so he says, you're so anxious. Instead, he said, he invites them to consider. He doesn't just say, have more faith. He says, I want you to think about this with me. He says, what good is your anxiety doing you? And he he kind of, I think, tongue in cheek says, you can't add a single day to your life by being anxious. Because we know it actually takes days off of your life being anxious. And so he says, don't do that. Instead, like, look at the birds. Consider the birds. Jesus looks around at creation. He says, look at the flowers. Look what God has done to provide for them. You don't think he'll provide for you what you need? Jesus looks around creation and says, you're looking inside yourself to feel like you can control and manage. Instead, look around. There's pretty good evidence that your father cares about you and loves you. Don't be anxious. What he has for you is better than what you would have had for yourself. So basically, like, leading up to what we're going to look at today, it's this constant look out. Don't look inside of yourself. 
to satisfy yourself with treasures here. Instead, look to heaven, have an eternal view. Look to your father. He should be your audience. Don't look to other people to make you feel good about yourself. Your father loves you and sees you when you serve in secret. He's like, don't look inside of yourself to be able to control. Our instinct, our human instinct, is to constantly look inside. And Jesus says, look out when your instincts look in. And then he says this. Uh, it's in what we would call chapter 7. Let's read these few verses. After he said, don't be anxious, he says this. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure that you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. All right. Uh, Let's start here. Let's talk about what this doesn't mean. This might be the most popular verse of our age, right? Uh, I think, don't judge me, right? That's how we, we say, you hear people say that or think that, or maybe you've said it, uh, hey, don't judge me. We live in a a culture that's very much like, you do your thing, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm not gonna judge you, and you're not gonna judge me. And people are like, don't judge me, and I'm like, doing it right now, you can't stop me. Doing it right the second. You're judging me by telling me not to judge. I'm judging you right back. We live in this age that says, don't judge. Everything that I do is fine. Everything that you do is fine. And we're just, it's just this very much coffee, wine, and Jesus, don't judge me, you know, kind of world that we live in. You know, like, I got my thing going on over here. You got your thing going on over there, and we're all okay, okay. That's not what this means. That's not what it's talking about. It can't mean that. Because if you look, we're called to make judgment calls all along. It doesn't mean don't be discerning. It doesn't mean don't think. It doesn't, it doesn't even mean that we can't evaluate others' behavior. Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person that is from inside you. It can't be about not judging per people's behavior, but looking and saying, hey, that's not right, that's not okay. It can't be about that because that doesn't make any sense. So what it is talking about, what it is, is don't judge in a way where we put ourselves above other people and look down on them. Don't put ourselves in a place where we are making calls about what people are like in their core. Uh, Paul says, he's writing to the church in Romans, and he says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, who, who, why do you despise your brother? We all will stand before the judgment seat of God. He's saying, listen, you're looking at them and despising them and looking down on them. That's what this is talking about. Don't judge in some way where you sit above everybody else and pronounce whether they're right or wrong or not. You don't know. That's not your place. Don't condemn. You don't know God's verdict yet. That's what it's saying. It's not saying don't be discerning. Not don't make, don't make thoughtful, considerate decisions about what's right and wrong. But don't sit in the place of God. 
Judge not that, uh, that you be judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. That's a real upsetting verse. Here's what it says. <laughs> the measure that you use, the standard that you use, whatever, whatever your judgment is, you have to realize that you're not even living up to your own standard. That's what it says. It's natural for us human beings for some reason to judge. And in this passage, it's so great. Right all this before, it's, hey, when your instinct is to look inside, look out. And then we get to this passage and it's like, hey, when your instinct is to look out, look in. It's upside down and backwards, right? To our natural instincts. When your instinct is to look out and make judgments, Jesus says, look in first, because you're going to be judged by the standard that you're judged. Here's what it says. I think about getting to heaven one day, and, and this is a little bit of a cartoon version, but someday we're definitely going to stand before God in some way. I don't know how, what that's going to look like, but we're going to give an account for the life that we've lived. And I constantly think about how I constantly fail the standard that God has set before me. Unbelievable. This verse says, hey, Chris, you don't even live up to the standard you set for the other people in your life. Have you ever uh, been at a red light behind somebody and uh, it turns green and they don't go right away? What do you scream? Get off of your phone and drive! You lose your mind, right? Get off of your phone, this idiot on their phone. Have you ever been, and I know it was an important text, first in line and the light was red and your flight turns green and all of a sudden somebody like, beep, the polite beep, beep, and you're like, Like, you need to get this work five seconds faster, dummy. It's our natural instinct. You've done both. I know you have. It's our natural instinct to not hold ourselves. We have the excuse for why we're not living up to that standard, but these dummies, right? It's our natural instinct to not live up. This shows up a whole lot in marriage, by the way. I just, I, it just does. Like, I think it's because of the intimacy that you, that you live, right? You live so close together. It's funny, uh, you're talking to some young couples, they're about to get married, and you can tell uh, in their eyes and the way they talk, they're like, yeah, there's problems, but once we get married, those will go away. <laughs> hey, listen, like, nah. You know how their jaw clicks right now and that kind of bothers you a little bit? But 20 years down the road, you're sitting there looking at them eating dinner, and you're like, this is going to be when their jaw unhinges like a python and they just swallow the table whole. <laughs> 20 years in, you're like, how did I marry somebody that does this? Are you crazy? This is insane. Like, because of you live and you set this standard for them that you could never even possibly live up to. A lot of times when, when marriages get in, in trouble, what, what, what's at the core of it when people are struggling and it's difficult is you, you get to the core of it and what they're saying is, I'm not happy and I think they promised that they would make me happy. And I always say this, are you doing everything that you could to make them happy? No, I'm not going to do that, but it's their job to do everything they can to make me happy. We just have this deal where we... I don't know, maybe we think too much of ourselves or maybe it's just human nature since the fall to hold other people 
to a standard that we can't live up to ourselves. And he says here, what Jesus wants is not people who are better at picking out people's sins, but people who are better at loving anyway. He, this is a call to being merciful. He wants a heart that overlooks failings, not the sharp eye that is always critical to what everybody else is doing. You want to be married one day? You want a happy marriage? You want happy relationships and friendships? Be quick to forgive and quick to overlook. Uh, Way back in Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 19, uh, it says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It says in Proverbs 10, 12, hatred stirs up strife, love covers offenses. It is to our glory to be able to overlook failures to forgive quickly. You want a deep and happy marriage? You want a deep and lasting marriage? Be quick to forgive. Be as quick to forgive as you want them to be quick in forgiving you. That goes a long way. That's what Jesus is calling for. It's so much healthier. It's so much happier. It is to our glory when the standard that we use for other people we live up to, or how about this, we lower the standard of other people to at least the standard we're willing to rise up to. I don't even live up to my own standard. It is crushing us. So it's this call to be merciful, to give favor, to give kindness where it's not deserved. Uh, He desires mercy. A couple times in Matthew, uh, later Jesus is actually gonna say this in Matthew, uh, in 9.13 he says to somebody, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says in 12.7, same thing. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What is he looking for? He desires mercy. He, He is merciful to us and he wants us to be merciful to others. He's merciful to us. There's this great passage, Lamentation 3, 22, 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God is this way. His mercies are new every single day. When I fail him, when I hurt, and when I, when I fail and I'm struggling and I wake up in the morning and I just think about what I did yesterday, I'm clear-headed of how impatient I was, of the things that I said without thinking, how unkind I was, how I lacked gentleness. And I think of these things, the thing that gets me out of bed is that his mercies are new today. And they'll be new tomorrow. And this passage says, it's leading us to this place where we see, let me ask this, let me put it this way. What kind of impact on your life and your relationship with other people do you think it would have if you took that seriously? Like, how transformative do you think it would be in your life 
if you were quick to forgive and show others mercy when they failed you. When they let you down, when they don't love you like you deserve, when they constantly, when they constantly and repeatedly just don't do things the way that you want or, or whatever it is, how much better do you think your life would be if you were quick to forgive, quick to love, and quick to show mercy? How different do you think it would be if you took that in deeply, that God's mercies are new today? I think it would be transformative. I think your whole life would look different if every morning you could truly believe at your core that his mercies are new, that he loves you today. And that's what he's calling us to, to live like this, this transformative life letting his mercies transform us to be more like Jesus so that we can be merciful in this world. So what he's saying is how do we as sinners then go live in this world, go be merciful in this way? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Pretty funny, right? It's a, it's a hilarious image. Jesus is like, you got sawdust, you got a little piece of sawdust in their eye and you got a whole tree in yours, right? It's kind of a funny image that he's using. Uh, it's, it's so great. Because that's how we are. For some reason, for some reason, um, I think of kindness. What he's saying here is this kingdom that he's been talking about, this kingdom of great love, this kingdom of mercy, this kingdom of great peace that Jesus talks about that he's bringing now, right? This is kind of the heading of all that he's teaching. And then he's going out and living it out and bringing it into people's lives. This, this kingdom, this God's rule in your heart and mind and thinking and life. It begins first in our own hearts and lives. That's where it starts, it transforming us. That, that, that when we first look to ourselves, when our instinct is to look outward at other people's foibles, that instead we look in at ours, then it makes the kingdom move in our own heart and then it can advance in the rest of the world. I don't see how we move the kingdom forward in the world if we're not really willing to deal with our own brokenness and sin. Basically what he's saying is, yeah, it is so human nature for other people's sins to loom large in our sight and ours to loom small. And if we want to go be in this world to help others who advance the kingdom, our sins need to loom large to us first. The worst of those, uh, maybe not the worst, maybe the root, is pride. This is the most upsetting thing that C.S. Lewis has ever said. For me, not for you, but for me. Lewis wrote this. There's one vice which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in somebody else, and of which hardly any people except Christians even imagine that they're guilty of themselves. I've heard people admit they're bad-tempered, or they can't keep their heads about girls or drink, or even that they're cowards. I do not think I've ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice. And at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who was not a Christian who showed the slightest mercy to it in others. There's a fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault, there's, sorry, there's no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is Pride. In fact, if you want to find out how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask yourself, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me, refuse to take any notice of me, or shove their oar in, or patronize me, or show off? The point is that each 
person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It's because I want to be the big noise at the party that I'm so annoyed at someone else being the big noise. That's very upsetting. It's so revealing of me. I'm so quick to see other people's pride. Can you believe how cocky that person is? You know what? Every time I say that, they got in the way of me being cocky. Jesus says, how am I supposed to go advance the kingdom in this world if I won't let it advance in my own heart? And the advancing of the kingdom is to look inside and recognize how sinful I am and that I need to be dealt with before I can think about advancing it anywhere else. Look first at ourselves and our instinct is to look out at other people instead to look inside of us. What we need is humility. You have to be humbled by your own sins before you can be helpful to anybody else. Seeing your own need of Jesus first before you can tell anyone else about their need for him. Look, uh, we need people like this though, right? We need people in our lives to remove the speck. We all have these blind spots in our life. We all have these places in our life where we don't see our pride or we don't see our sin or we don't see our shortcomings, our failings. We don't see them. Uh, and, And we need people that will come to us and help us. Um, But what you want is someone to come. You don't want someone like me. I got something in my eye and I'm like, I'll be right back. I'll go with the pliers. You want someone gentle when you have a speck in your own eye. You don't want someone like me who's like, like, get out the pocket knife and be like, I got this. And that's how off we are, uh, how we often are. It is the humility that knows that we are broken, that knows that we are in need of Jesus, that knows that we've been there, that can help someone gently remove the speck from their own eye. We need the humility first to know how to help others, to point others to Jesus. We first need to know our deep need of him. How do we get there? Verse six is weird. It says this, don't give the dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Um, look, I'm not gonna say everything that needs to be said about this verse. If you wanna read up on it, I'll be glad to shoot you some commentaries how they go on and on about the 19 different translations of this, but, or different versions, or, sorry, ways to understand this. I think what it's trying to say overall though is generally pretty understandable. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Uh, so the image is taking something that was uh, probably meant to be a sacrifice for God and instead taking it off the altar and, and throwing it to wild dogs. You, you wouldn't do that, right? I think so often we are so willing to give to ourselves or other people things that only belong to God. Right? I, my quick temptation, I've told you this before, is I so often give other people the right to declare me righteous. Don't take what is holy and throw it before people. They shouldn't have that. That's God's right and God's right alone to declare me righteous. And it's better for him to do it than for me. He's far more gentle than the other people that I ask to tell me that I'm okay and good and right. And so to don't take what's God's and give it to myself to judge and don't take what's God's right and give it to other people. And then he says this, don't take pearls and throw them before swine. Uh, a pearl is something of great value. Don't give people uh, things that won't nourish them. Don't give them things 
that won't help them and be surprised when you get bit. Um, Imagine you come home, I come home, and uh, it's me, I did this, it was me. And you say, look, I really hurt myself, I hurt myself. I think, I think I'm in pain. I mean, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain. I'm hurt. She says, did you do the thing that you're not supposed to do at the gym? And I say, hey, look, when I left here and you looked me in the eyes and said, do not try to get your big butt up over that bar, we both knew I was going to try to get my butt up over that bar. We knew I was going to. Uh, so don't like, uh, don't act. And, and she's like, you're not supposed to do that. You knew you weren't supposed to do that. And I'm like, hey, you know what? You know what? What I need is a heating pad and drugs, not these pearls of wisdom. And uh, maybe now's not time to talk about it. Uh, maybe I need help, you know, right? Maybe that happened. And uh, yesterday, like I'm in, I'm, in, I'm in a fair amount of pain right now. And... Uh, Hurt myself good. And uh, maybe that wasn't, it's not that it wasn't true and right, that that counsel wasn't good. Maybe I just didn't need to hear that right now. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe, maybe you got a friend who, or a person that you know that every time they get off the phone with this other person that they talk to regularly, they're like always upset and mad and it goes really, really badly. And you think it'd be wise to say out loud, Listen, I don't even know why you talk to them. Stop talking to them. They just cause problems. Or maybe you had a friend who's like in this relationship that you told them not to be in and they break up and they're crying on your shoulder. Maybe now's not the time to be like, I told you so. Not that that's wrong. Maybe it's not the time to throw that before them. I, I think what Jesus is saying, look, I think this is a call, not to, I think it's a correction for anybody that wants to be like, don't judge, just do whatever you want. I don't have to say anything about what anybody ever does. I think this is a correction, and Jesus is like, no, you must be discerning about what will nourish people and what will make them turn on you. So, um, in... Jesus is teaching. There's just, uh, these images are used elsewhere, uh, in other places. So, and it's not always the same. But in his teaching, he says that the kingdom of heaven, later he says the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price that you find and you go and sell everything that you have to have this pearl. It is a thing of worth, of, of surpassing worth, that everything, that's what the kingdom is like. When you find it with great joy, you would give everything that you have to have this. It's the forgiveness that we're looking for. It is the love that we are looking for. It is the acceptance we are looking for. It is the eternity we are looking for. It is the righteousness that we are looking for. It is everything that we are looking for and we would tell everything to have it. This is what the kingdom is like, Jesus says. It's like this pearl. There's a story, another story where... (laughs) This uh, guy tells his dad, it's called the story of the prodigal son. I, I, I'll never, I don't think, I just can't imagine ever being over this story. Um, it just every year, something new. 
the son says to his dad, hey, I want my inheritance now. Give it to me now. And basically, I wish you were dead, is what he says. And his father gives him his inheritance. He goes into a foreign land and squanders it all and ends up, he squanders everything that he has, all his, all his wealth, and uh, he finds himself so poor uh, that he's living like a pig. He's eating what the pigs are fed and living among the slop, and he's just, that's how poor it is. He had to take a job feeding pigs, which would be unthinkable and an unclean animal, all this Jewish rules, you know. And one day he wakes up in the pigsty and looks around and is like, what am I doing? Like, servants in my dad's house have it better than me. I know that I'm not his son anymore. I know that I wished him dead, but maybe he would just give me a job. Like, where I don't have to live like this anymore. And this amazing story where he's everything that he wants, more than he could have dreamed. He comes back, his dad sees him, and he jumps down and he runs to him when he's still a far way off, grabs him, smelly, stinky, hugs him, throws a big party, puts a robe on him, and says, my son was once dead, now he's alive. Everything that you and I want in this story to be loved even though we're filthy, all of these things. Here's my question. The son had all of that before he left. Why is he just now realizing it? There's this, listen, you and I can't lead anybody. We can't save anybody. We can only point them to Jesus. There's this thing that happens inside of us where the Holy Spirit awakens us and makes these places in our heart that are rocky ground, fertile soil for the gospel to take root and all of this beauty to grow. But it's a work of the Holy Spirit and something had not happened in that young man's life when he left that he realized later. Listen, we have to, we have to love people well, be in their lives. And I think some of us are really good at looking at people and being like, hey, here's the truth. Uh, you know, like, this is what you need to know, da, 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 and we wonder why they don't want to be around us, right? Some of us will just be with someone and love them well and love them well and love them well, but never speak the truth. Never give them the pearls. I think Jesus is calling us to not judge, but we have to be discerning with what people that we love need. And there comes a time when we have to lay them before them the pearls of the gospel. This beautiful, beautiful reality when they're ready to hear for it. We love them and show them and repeat it and pour it around them and pour it around them and pour it around them until they realize this is what they need. The gospel moves forward in the world when it first moves forward in our life and with great humility we receive the salvation of Jesus and then as he begins to work in our lives we gently and lovingly reveal the truth show these pearls to other people because there are people in your life there are people in your life who have a speck in their soul and they need to know Jesus will gently remove it. But they need to hear it from those of us who have had the speck removed, for the log from our own lie removed first. So this is what we do. We come together, and together we remind each other of this reality of how deeply loved that I am, even though my eye is full of sticks. How deeply loved I am, and I confess and I repent, and you guys and I and all together, we, we remind each other and point each other and, and we confess together and we pray together and we grow and, and the gospel moves in my heart and, and it moves in my family and, and it moves in this church and then it begins to move in other circles and further and further and further and further and this is how the gospel advances. The great news of who Jesus is and what he has done, that this is how deeply loved you are but also how deeply sinful you are. 
This moves forward and transforms the world. Let's pray. Father, what a kindness. What a gift to share the gospel with each other each week. To, to point each other to Jesus each week. To, to walk with people who teach me how to love well and, and, and teach me how to speak the truth well. Who teach, who have gently in my life removed specks from my eye so that I could see more clearly. So Father, as, as we come to the table, oh, may we be humbled. May we be humbled. This is not primarily for others. It is for me. It is for each of us that you meet us in this moment. But at the same time, it's a family meal. Meant to remind us that in you we have been joined together in the body broken and the blood spilled, that we can have life. We've been joined together in a new family. Give us humility. Teach us humility. Teach us the beauty of humility, the joy of humility. And the danger of pride. I mean, we be a people that are quick to forgive, quick to overlook, quick to love. And may that joy spread throughout our lives and through our families and through our friends and workplaces and, and a church and the whole city. May that joy be present. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.